Listen, listen to our talk past. The accountability talk past. Get all the tea on the governance space. Everything you need to know about accountability. Making governance work for the people by supporting active citizens, responsible leaders. Hi, I'm Shirley Erasmus, Global Director of Learning at Accountability Lab. Today, I'm here with two very special guests and longtime supporters of Accountability Lab. Emma Ibaga is one of Nigeria's most prominent rappers, singer-songwriters, and producers. Amongst many other awards, MI won the Best New Act Award at the 2009 MTV Africa Music Awards. We're also joined by MI's collaborator and president of Incredible Music, Nora Rahimian. Nora is also the CEO of CultureFix, a global collaborative network of creatives, activists, and entrepreneurs who use their platforms for social impact. MI and Nora have for a long time been proponents of social justice and accountability in Nigeria and across Africa. We worked together previously on our Voice to Rep campaign, which supports a new generation of conscious artists to find their voices and use them to push for social change. MI and Nora, good day and welcome to our studio here at the Open Gov Hub. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. The space is beautiful, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Well, we are super excited to hear from you. Um, let's, let me start off with a question for both of you, because you have different entry points into the music scene and, and work um, around the arts in different ways. So can you tell me about your own journey into music and why you feel it's such a powerful tool? Okay, I'll start. Um, so my background is in community organizing. I did prison abolition and gang intervention work for a really long time. Um, and through a series of events, ended up in Liberia where I was the first music manager. And what I saw in Liberia was where, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits who don't have the impact that they want to have. They're very well-meaning, but they exist really to keep themselves existing. But they ha there was a big gap between what they were trying to do and the audiences they were serving. Meanwhile, her here are these artists who can say, everybody jump and everybody jumps. And they can say, tomorrow everybody wear purple shoes, and tomorrow everybody will wear purple shoes. And so for me, the I really see music as a pathway to social change. And if we can leverage the relationship that artists have with their fans to get them to buy music and you know, buy merch, we can also get them to talk about social justice issues and change their behavior around social justice issues. So to me, that's the most powerful. I mean, music is great. We can dance, we can vibe, it's beautiful. But that ability to make real behavior and emotional change is really powerful. My uh, journey into music, um, I was a fan and uh, got the opportunity to play in front of people with all <laughs> the knowledge of all the music I'd been listening to since I was a kid. And uh, some people said they liked it, just, and I got a record deal one day. Um, and yeah, 15 years later, uh, since my first album, um, I've just had a very, like, career filled with luck, with grace, with uh, tremendous memories, you know, a lot of learning. Um, and today, uh, partner with Nora, you know, part of uh, amazing work that's happening in Nigeria. Um, and also enjoying the explosion of what's happening with African culture and African music today. You know, um, I think it's just a great moment. Um, I feel so lucky to have been born when I was born, where I was born, you know, in Jaws, and to have this, you know, special gift 
you know, with music and to be able to partake of this, like, you know, uh, incredible story that's the rise of African music and Africa's growth. So if you think about how music is seen as so spiritual and so deeply woven into the fabric of Nigerian um, of Nigerian living and, and life and, and culture and what makes the place what it is, can you say a little bit more about how you think social justice or social accountability messaging has has sort of been woven into your own work and what you think the impact of that has been? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, first I'll just start with Fela again. Like, we, I just spoke about, like, how important he is to the identity of, just the modern identity of what it means to be a Nigerian today. Fela is there. And he was the most socially conscious artist maybe ever, right? Someone that challenged the government time and time again, spoke truth to power, you know. Um, and I, I my, because maybe because my father's a pastor, I always just saw that connection between your values and what you believe and what you say. And so throughout my career, even when I didn't have a uh, something to specific to point it at, I always made myself available for any social cause work. I've been a UN ambassador. I've, um, I've uh, been in uh, spaces speaking about gender violence. And every time people asked, and along the way, I think my real journey came around election work. When I started, when I had a moment of awareness about my own apathy, I never even considered voting. And then I went to go get my voter's card, and it was just a tough process. And actually, leading up to that, I'd done concerts telling people to come out and vote. And I saw it's easier to speak than to do. And so when I did it, I was like, actually, maybe my role is going to be grabbing other musicians like me and bringing them into the space. And so the next election that came up, we ended up doing, we uh, got a partner and we got some funding and we did uh, six concerts. The one in Jaws had like 10,000 people. The one in, we went to like the different geopolitical zones in the country. And when we got to the Southwest, I had experiences. People propositioned me to do Yahoo Yahoo, which is 419, like openly. And they were like, but you're, aren't you... In the music business, doesn't everyone do it? And my worldview flipped. And one of the kids said to me, he said, you're here now talking to me about the elections, and I know I'm not going to see you again till the next election cycle. To me, you're just like a politician. And I was like, wow. And so I just committed there and then that whatever I did next, you know, we're going to keep make sure that it was part of not just, not just my personal, you know, I'm a good citizen, but part of my calendar. And out of that, Task was born, you know. And, um, yeah, this is how I hope that, you know, I can continue to to keep that link between the music I make and the actual impact I try to create, you know, with the privilege that I have. But also bring others, you know, that some some of them have never thought about it. You know, some of them have, have considered it but don't know how, but bring others into that space. Thanks so much for that. It's really refreshing to hear that, you're not just saying that this is important to you, but you're living it. And like hearing your reflections on how that switch flipped for you makes me so um, makes me so, feel so encouraged about how it's possible to do that yeah. for other not just musicians but artists and influencers who have a platform, right? Who can use their voice and um, the influence they have for social good. Thanks so much for that. Now, Nora, you have been involved with 
musicians, not just in Africa, but also in, in the US and, and really all over. So like looking at that macro perspective that, that you've had, what do you what do you see as the most important entry point for essentially bringing music along as a vehicle for social change? I mean, I, I think kind of to MI's point, artists have to be genuine about what they're doing. And there's, especially in today's world, we understand that there's a lot of social cachet around social justice. And so there's a lot of people who are good at like, you know, like that, that young person gave MI feedback around, yo, you're gonna come and then you're gonna leave and I'm never gonna see you again. And we see that you know artists will post a hashtag or they'll post an image, but there's no action to back it. And so if we're serious about social change, fans now are smarter and more critical. And so they want to see artists who are really using the privilege that they have and the power that they have in proportion to what they're doing. Um, if you're doing the same thing that your fans are doing, fans are gonna pick up on that discrepancy of you know, we're poor and we're donating more than you are. Or, hey, we're struggling, but we're out in these streets and you're safe at home recording Instagram videos. There's, there's something in the relationship between artists and fan that's changed. And so whether that's in Nigeria or in the U.S. or Iran or wherever we're talking about, um, the, because fans now are more active, they have higher demands of the artists. And so they want to see authenticity, they want to see long-term engagement, they want to see action beyond just like some cute Instagram words or some, you know, cute tweets. And when it all comes together, that's when the action will happen. And the other piece of it is, you know, music taps into a whole different part of our brains than logic or fact, right? It taps into that parasympathetic part. And so that emotional piece of allowing, I think sometimes fans get um, disillusioned by the facts and the figures and the debates. And so allowing the emotion to come back into social justice work and remembering that we're doing this work because to some degree or another, our lives really depend on it. Like we need housing, we need clean water, we need safe schools. We, these are things that we need and we will die other, like this isn't like cute things that we're doing. This is like life or death for a lot of us. And so allowing artists to be emotional and the music to be emotional and fans to be emotional, um, that creates a different kind of urgency and relationship to the issues that then change turns into real change. And at, at the end of the day, that's what we want. The impact is real change. Absolutely. And I'm going to turn it back um, to you, MI, on change within the Nigerian context. So you, you're known for bringing up new artists in the industry and bringing the north and south of Nigeria together, which is a critical issue in your home context, right? How do you feel you've done that? So I'm just a little bit of a background so that people can understand sort of the geopolitical uh, context of Nigeria. So I am from the north. You know, if you were to divide Nigeria into the north and the south, and generally the north is Muslim, and if you're a Christian from the north, you're in the minority. And I'm a Christian from the north. Um, born into a Christian home from, from the North. Uh, I now work in the South. While it shouldn't be, ethnicity has shaped a lot of Nigeria's history, you know, and there's a generation now that's really, in this moment especially, they're really crying out for change and for us to move past that. Be being from where I'm from, I already had a perspective that I had to move sort of like a minority and that I had that minority perspective within the Nigerian context. However, I, I must say that Nigeria is actually uh, quite welcoming to people from different, from different parts. So 
How how have we been able to do that? When we were when I first moved to Lagos, I was first intentional with bringing people with me, people that didn't have those opportunities from Joss. Two artists in, we started to look at how could we expand the pool. We signed a guy called Brimo, and with, in the chocolate, this is back when I was at Chocolate City Records. In our blueprint, um, by 2017, we had different label incubators in like that were focused on the different uh, geopolitical zones. And our focus was how do we bring music from the north where streaming isn't as, um, is, is, there's less uh, phones connected to streaming apps. And so the revenue there is lower, the focus is lower. How do we incubate artists there? How do we support them? We were doing tours in the school, in the schools there. Even right now, with through Task, we're doing a learning program in JOS, um, trying to see how we can support the universities and the um, other institutions of higher learning there um, by connecting them to projects that are, you know, in the uh, actual industry so people can get real experience. Oh, a big one, and I must mention this, is that Nigeria today has a huge gender problem in our industry. In terms of the talent, the outcomes of talent that come at the top level, uh, too few women, especially in music, are getting through. And from what I've seen, um, I think that there's a lot, of, uh, a lot more research that can be done in this area. But from what I've seen, part of the challenge is that early on, uh, young girls are not as safe you know, in studios and stuff. I, I say that because it's not just North-South and those dynamics. You know, they're all sort of dynamics that we have to be paying attention to to build a more equal industry. I'm glad you included that divide because it's it's really, really important. And um, I've listened to some of your podcasts and your TED Talks and you call yourself a feminist. And, and clearly you're walking that walk in your work and how you engage with the world and, and with the music industry and... Um, I'd like to ask about some of the practical steps you've taken to bring more female voices into the space. This is useful for Accountability Lab and our audience as we continue to do arts for change work, right? This is not just a challenge in, in Nigeria, but, but but really in most of the contexts where we work. So I'd love to hear more from you about how you've built out a more gender-friendly space. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe I can take some credit, but I think maybe... They're just two simple steps that I think, first of all, if there are women involved in decision-making early on, it will shape sort of how things go. So my first hire when I tried to build an organization was someone that still works with me, Toda. And right from the start, you know, um, it, I had a, a different perspective there. And the second thing is creating space. This is something... Creating space to listen. Because I think that that's really where, for a lot of men, I, I, I think that's really where the bias is. Is that for most of us, we've been in rooms where we're allowed to speak more. Like when you're in college, when you're in high school, when the guys are around, you just speak more. And you think that that's the natural. And so actually, like in a meeting, being like, okay, I'm actually going to be quiet for the next 15 minutes so that people that aren't, comfortable are going to actually get this feel the space and be confident enough to speak now those two changes i think just like cascaded down snowballed into everything else and today like i mean task feels like such a like a woman-led organization even though i'm the founder and ceo because right from the onset like i mean almost all the key decision makers are women um but again, I don't want to take credit for that. I, I want to say that in the foundation, like 
women were there, women that were 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 given, not given, but that that I was I was able to create the environment or be part of creating an environment where they were able to give their opinion and that shaped everything from there. Nora, I'm gonna to look to you because as a woman in this industry, um, what have been your experience and, and how do you think you've had an influence on on shaping that? Yeah, and, and I will I mean, this happens in every country, every city. It happens in the US. Like it's a it's a um, core issue of because music is so reflective of society and society is patriarchal. Like um, so it's an everywhere issue. I think it's really important to be mindful of you can't just hire women and have systems within the organization that are still based in misogyny and patriarchy because then you set the women up to fail or then you critique women for, you hire them, but then you critique them for the things that you've hired them for. And so part of it, I think, is making sure that you're in, interrogating, and I use that word cautiously, your own ways of thinking, your own expectations of your team. Um, but it's also little, like we have an A&R who's, a male, who's a guy, a cis male. I want to be very intentional of making sure that we're hiring producers that are women, writers that are women. But if I do that and my A&R hasn't unpacked his own expectations of how women should behave, the value that they bring in, it's, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. And so part of our work on the label side is to make sure that that A&R gets training around equity, inclusion, feminism, microaggressions, all the things, so that when he's alone in a studio, there's, you know, there's the the mainstream things like, oh, are you going to harass the woman, right? We, we all know that that's an issue. It's some of the more subtle things that people who see themselves as one of the good guys don't realize that that's harm that they're still participating in, right? It's the little nuances. And so if we're going to bring women who or queer folks or trans folks or non-binary folks or femmes who are who we, we want to say, hey, we want you, we want to hear from you, we also then can't turn around and tell them, but the stories that you tell are not marketable. It's our job to market those stories or find an audience or however they want to express themselves, we have to allow space for that. And so part of that is in allowing space, you know, what M was saying around giving people space, it's not just to listen, but to then put the funding, the marketing, the Instagram stories, the you know all those tools behind it, so that those people are getting the backing that everyone else is getting, and it has to be very intentional because it won't just happen naturally, um, and so it has to happen at all levels. And sometimes that also includes teaching your audiences as you're teaching your team, so that your audience is able to receive this new way of thinking or this new sound or this new artist they haven't seen before and so you teach them and that's how they become fans that's really really practical and I think um so important that it's, it's not just about hiring I feel like hiring is often like the last step yeah. right in in changing things in in this sort of space um so I want to get a little bit into voice to rep which has been the piece that has brought both of you into contact with accountability lab um, and, and how you think programs like that, cultivating young talent people who are um, who are building their platform but are also really hungry to change the trajectories of their country and to really speak about social accountability issues in a, in a way that brings others along who are often excluded in these conversations. How do you think those types of programs can make a difference? And Nora, you were there at the very start, I believe, in... Monrovia, which happens to be the name of this room we're <laughs> recording this podcast in. 
I'd love to hear from you about your involvement in it, how you've seen voice rape evolve and what you think the power of such programs can be. Yeah. So I'll tell the story real quick for folks who don't know. Um, voice to rep in its early origins, we were in Liberia. There was a bunch of HIPCO artists who wanted to do social impact stuff but didn't really have structure. And so when Blair and I met, I was like, cool, let's do this HIPCO accountability network. Rather than like doing a one-off campaign, let's train a bunch of artists. In a, let's teach them about accountability. Let's give them media literacy around how to talk about it. And then let's give them the space to tell the stories in their own words. Because audiences are so so in tune to like NGO talk. If they feel like they're being com- like a, they're being given a commercial, they're going to shut down. And so that's how the HIPCO Accountability Network started. And um, the artists were really into it. I think Amaze is still doing great work with the lab. And so that model was able to be replicated in other countries and it's grown and I'm like so excited every time there's a new version of it. I think the potential is infinite. And what makes it so powerful is that it, you know, traditional music industry says that social justice, like, oh, this is just how the industry is. And there's so many oppressive things that we're told to just accept. And the space for so-called conscious music as like a byproduct rather than a core part of music is part of that, is part of that narrative. So I think programs like this and what we're doing at Incredible Music and task by building social impact and social justice and values into the everyday fabric of everything from the creative process to the business around it to the ways we build relationships sets it up so that artists don't ever have to make the compromise or the negotiation between my values and my impact and my art. Like those things become one and the same and then they're given support around it. So it really, I think it makes kind of arts for change work viable for artists and then gives them the tools to connect with audiences. And I think the important part of it is a lot of artists care and are passionate, but they don't know the statistics. They don't know the nuances of what's happening. They don't always have the historical context. So this gives them those tools as well so that when they're doing this work, they're not causing harm in the process. Um, and so now they ha- they, they're making good music, their values align, they have all the information, the fans are there. Like, we can walk away and they will still be sustainable. And that's powerful too, that it no longer centers it, the artists and the the artists and the fans can continue to build that relationship and evolve as as issues. So it's like a sustainable model for creating change that's grounded in real authentic belief and what people want to see and do. Am I? How about you? You've been engaged and and even mentored some of the participants of this program in in Nigeria. How how have you felt about it? And then how do you see the change as possible for Nigeria? Yeah, I think uh, I've been part of three projects. I think, um, and I'll speak from the perspective of being a kid that, you know, had opportunities like that, um, and the actual, you know, young artists that I've met uh, through this project. Um, I think sometimes um, we under- underestimate how vulnerable the moment when young artists are making that decision to go into music as a career, how vulnerable and susceptible they are to to everything that's going on around them. And to me, that's right at the moment when a lot of these young artists that I met at this project were coming in. And at the forefront of their experience was some social issue that they had never really thought about 
you know, like they've never looked at I have the power, you know, and I can use my voice to, and that's so powerful. That to me is the importance of projects like this. It's that it's giving them something that they're going to take with them for the rest of their career. And when we look at the industry, sometimes we see the artists that are successful and we don't see that they're, they're like for every success, successful artist, there are like communities around them. And art, like it's not even about how successful it's everyone from the voice rep program going to be, but it's going to be the combined impact of releasing a cohort of artists that are socially conscious that have a little bit of a community, people that they can collaborate with, and also have a shared mindset, and then have a framework, a context that they can they can use to uh, process what's coming, you know, in their lives, but and be able to to see a way to respond. And I think, like, I think voice reps should be very proud, especially in Nigeria. I can speak directly to the Nigeria program. This is valuable work, you know, it's very valuable work. Can I just add one more thing that I think is also important? Because in a lot of contexts, to make socially conscious music is risky and dangerous, mm. like physically dangerous for the artists. And we, you know, there's a bunch of examples of artists being arrested. And and so part of what a program like Voice to Rep provides also is some formal like backing in case something happens. If I'm an artist by myself and I don't have power or leverage. It's not hard for my government to come after me and all these things that can happen. But if there's a structure or an institution, to there's a degree of protection and safety that it provides. And I think it, one, gives artists permission to take risks that they might not otherwise have taken. But it also pushes back sometimes against what people might do in retaliation. And that's probably, I think, one of the most important things that a program like Voice to Rep provides is the protection and safety that artists might not otherwise have. Mm. That's a really important point that I don't think we always consider at Accountability Lab. The sense of like creating network, right, has always been important. But we often think about network in terms of people who can advocate collectively. But as you point out, it's it's more than that. It's also a safety in numbers and having some institutional backing in a way and, and knowing that there's almost like a home for your music. Um, and, and there's people to turn to should you be in trouble, people who will be your supporters along the way. And, and I know that both of you are doing incredible work uh, with incredible music um, and also crowding in new voices and, and creating interesting networks. So I would love to hear from you. Tell us about incredible music. What's your vision for this? And, and how does this all connect again to social accountability? Okay, so I'm really excited about this. Um, <laughs> Incredible music is really built to be a space where artists can be who they are without having to compromise their personal integrity or their creative vision, um, where the social impact stuff that we've been talking about is built into it. But really, we're artists first, which means we're just as serious about making impactful music as we are about treating our artists well. And part of the you know, music industry, like I said earlier, is famous for giving artists bad deals and stealing their money and screwing them over and all these kinds of things. And we can't pretend to do social impact work if we're not treating our people internally well. And so that's a foundational piece, both in terms with our artists, but also our staff and our team. Um, so that's what I mean when I say artists first, that our, our people are treated well and we're practicing internally the same values that we're trying to, you know, push externally. We've got three artists signed right now, MI. Um, but also, I don't know if people know, but MI has a brother, Jesse Jags, 
who's an iconic producer, like probably your favorite Afrobeat songs from the OG days were produced by Jesse Jags. He's also incredibly talented as a as a writer and as a, as a rapper. So uh, Jesse Jags is also on the and he's working on some, I can't wait for people to hear the stuff that he's been working on. And then we've signed a young artist named Loye, who's a singer who's got an incredible story, an incredible voice. He's so charismatic. Um, and then there's a... Yeah, okay, the other one I won't. Can I speak yeah, on it? Cool. Okay, okay. And then, um, well, you know, the other project is a Chalk Boys project that will bring M.I. and Jesse Jags and Ice Prince together um, in a joint project. So we've got so much talent, artists who really care about their communities. We just want to make it easy for them to make the music they want to make, but also so that folks can hear it. So M.I. Nora, thank you so much for spending time with us today. This was really just a meaningful conversation and you've inspired me to think about things more deeply around that infrastructure for artists, for arts, for change more broadly and and how we think about the different features that exist in the music industry and and how we have to address that to make arts for change possible. So thank you so much, of course, as always, also for your support to Accountability Lab. We value your time, your friendship, and we look forward to continuing collaborating with you. Thank you. The pleasure is ours. Absolute, absolute pleasure. Get all the tea on the governance space. Everything you need to know about accountability. Making governance work for the people by supporting active citizens, responsible leaders. Ah.